monthly prayer. So put that on your calendar. Very important. So Proverbs chapter 10, picking up uh, with where we left off, uh, we covered up through uh, verse 15, and we're going to look at verse uh, 16 down through verse 22. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. It should be marked. It should be ready for you if you need one. It should be ready with Proverbs chapter 10. But uh, if you have your Bibles open, let's go ahead, starting in verse 16. The labor of the righteous leads to life, the wages of the wicked to sin. He who keeps instruction is in the way of life, but he who refuses correction goes astray. Whoever hides hatred has lying lips, and whoever spreads slander is a fool. And the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains his lips is wise. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of wisdom. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Let's open in prayer. Father, we're grateful to be here tonight. Uh, We're grateful for the freedom to meet and to assemble. Uh, We're grateful for another day where you put breath in our lungs. Uh, You've allowed us, Lord, to have another day. We don't even deserve another day, much less the grace and mercy you've given to salvation, the gift of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we just humble ourselves here now. We just ask that you just do a work of refreshing here in the middle of the week. I don't know what each person here needs, but you do. And Lord, I pray that uh, you would just minister to each heart uh, as you see fit. And Lord, that all of us would be equipped and strengthened uh, for what you have for us to complete tomorrow through the rest of this week. And people you want us to touch and minister to, but not in our own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord, you would uh, be in our midst, speak by your Spirit. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Now, if you were to look at these verses as a subtitle, I've uh, got the title up on the screen there, The Way of Life, uh, I might would subtitle these few verses, Our Labor, Our Life, and Our Lips. You know, we have, we have work to do, all of us. Uh, we have work to do in the body of Christ, but we all have to work to earn a living. And uh, we have, a, a, in this world, nothing comes free. We've got to labor. And that's part of the, you know, even before the curse, we were going to work and to serve, but then after the curse in the Garden of Eden, labor becomes all that much more difficult. Uh, But God wants to give sweetness to our labor, and uh, he wants to add life to our life. I mean, everybody is given X amount of years, some more, some less, but, but God wants us to experience real living, the, the living that he had ordained you know, before the foundation of the earth. And he wants to, and we won't see the full manifestation of this in this lifetime. Uh, heaven remains for that. But, but we can experience far more uh, than many people are experiencing today uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And lastly, you know, we've all got a mouth to use. And in this passage, God wants to remind us to use it for him. You know, there's a lot of ways you can use a mouth. Uh, people certainly have a lot of things to say, not only now, but throughout history. And so we'll look at uh, these verses 
uh, through that lens, this way of life, but also uh, that our labor and that our life and that our lips uh, would be consecrated to the Lord. That's what God wants for all of us here. Uh, We all might get up in the morning and get ready for work and live life, but God wants it to be a consecrated life. Does that make sense? Consecrated to him every day uh, that he would use it, use us for his glory, because we're either going to add or subtract everywhere we go. And he wants us to be those that uh, we, we won't have life to give. We won't really be able to spread joy and peace if we're not experiencing it personally. It's just something we can t- Well, so-and-so, I, I, I heard our pastor talk about it. I heard on the radio, I heard Dr. David Jeremiah talking about it. I heard this so-and-so. But God wants us to experience this way of life. And this isn't just in this part of Proverbs. Obviously, throughout the entire book, uh, it's all about wisdom for life. So we'll continue to see repetitive themes. But let's go ahead and look at verse 16 to start with first. The labor of the righteous leads to life, the wages of the wicked to sin. Some of you might remember um, the song that released in 1981. Remember, everyone is working for the weekend. Or everybody. The, the, the title of the song was called "Working for the Weekend" by a Canadian band called Loverboy. I never thought I would say that from the pulpit. That that, that word. I never thought I would. But that's the name of the group. They could have come up with a better name than that. But. Uh, I actually liked that group in 81, so, uh, you know, I don't anymore, but I did then, so. um, But the main line on the song is, everybody's working for the weekend. It's it's a a really catchy phrase there, you know? And things haven't changed much since 1981 uh, when it comes to human motives and desires. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, that was the MTV start, the MTV generation. Things haven't changed. They've they've just kind of followed a pattern But the song resonated, and the message still does resonate with people, because the message of that song, when you think of the weekend, it it represents leisure, relaxation, exhale, kick back, no boss to deal with or to respond to, no... Well, in today's world, now you get emails anyway. But, uh, but back in the, that, that time, at least work kind of ended. You get to make your own priorities on the weekend, unless you have a honeydew list or whatever. But generally speaking, you get to make your own priorities on the weekend. And so we understand why the title would resonate. And although not everyone is working for the weekend, some people say, well, I don't work for the weekend. That's not, that's not my focus in life. Everyone's working for something. Everybody's working for something, something to achieve. They want to be a millionaire. They want to retire early. They want to accomplish something, pay off the house, pay off the mortgage, put the kids through college, go on a dream vacation, whatever it is, or just survive. Sometimes that's all it is, just, just, just survive. Everybody's working for something. And everyone's working for something, even if it's not just their vocation, but they're always working for something that will bring fulfillment and satisfaction. And and that sometimes is not part of the actual vocation, just working in some way. You know, if we do this, if we rearrange the house, if we make this change, some kind of fulfillment, some kind of satisfaction. Christian, 
if you're working for Jesus and you're walking daily in his grace, you found it. You may not realize you found it because Satan may have convinced you that you haven't found it. But God is true and our feelings aren't. He really is the source and the reason to live. And when we start to believe that, and it won't happen overnight, he'll start to transform everything in us from the inside out. I was praying today uh, for the entire church, as I often pray for the entire church. Not every single one of your names. I don't remember all of your names. But a lot of times God will put some of your names specifically on my heart. I'll pray for you specifically. Sometimes, you know, sometimes I can't remember certain faiths. I say, they're new. I don't know who that is, but I'll be praying for someone. And I was praying today, and, uh, this, and tonight's study was not on my mind at all when I was praying. I had no notion of the study at all. That came later. Um, but this prayer came to my mind as I was praying. Lord, may you add years to our lives and life to our years. May you add years to our lives and life to our years. I don't care how old you are in here or how young you are, I'm still praying God adds years to your life and life to your years. It's not too late for God to heal you of something. It's not too late for God to deliver you from something. It's not too late for God. He did it for Fanny Crosby and many other people in in church history. He can do it again. But even aside from that, that he add life to your years however many years we have. What kind of life? Well, the life of Christ, the life that has joy on a Wednesday, maybe in the middle of a tough day, maybe a very tiring day. I asked you all if you're tired. By your quietness, I'm assuming you were. And life that finds real peace and joy, get this, in serving Jesus and serving other people. You know, studies have found that people that actually are givers are far happier than people that refuse to give. People that say, you know, my time belongs to others, my talent belongs to others, my treasure belongs to others, far less anxiety, stress, depression than people say, uh, I can't give it away. I can't give my time to God. I can't give my uh, time to people. I'm certainly not giving a penny out of my wallet because I'm going to need this. We've got giving, serving. And so Jesus said, look, when you, you'll find your life when you lose it, he said. That's what he said. Well, that's, that's counterintuitive, isn't it? That we'll find our life when we lose it. He says, you don't believe me? Just keep doing it your own way. But if you do it my way, you'll find life. We talked about um, this related to uh, verse, um, when it comes to the labor that we have to serve the Lord. Um, if you don't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, I mean, if someone tries to do this unsaved, it'll never work. But once you've really been saved and you have the Holy Spirit and you start to serve the Lord, and you say, I'm, Lord, I'm going to give you my best, and you start to serve the Lord, it becomes fulfilling life-giving, and really you experience the more you surrender, the more joy uh, that you'll find. And we talked about this last week related to verse 4 and 5. Turn, look back just to verses 4 and 5 for just a second as it relates to labor. Remember, we looked at this last, week, uh, last Wednesday night 
or if you weren't here, we did. Uh, verse 4, he who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a wise son. He who sleeps and harvests is a son who causes shame. So we talked about last week the fact that uh, we've been saved to labor in the vineyard of the Lord. And where is that? Well, that's all around us, to labor in this world, to labor here in the body of Christ, to labor uh, in your home, where is your, where's your first church priority is your spouse and your kids, if, if you're married. If you're not married, uh, then you can be even more abandoned to the work of the Lord. Paul writes about that. But all of us are to labor for the Lord uh, in those things which are spiritual in nature. Now, we're not saved by our works. We talked about this as well. Uh, but everyone who has been saved has been saved to work. To work. That's why Paul wrote, I hear there's some of you, some among you who are idle. Paul said that they're not contributing to the work of the kingdom of God. And God says, everyone I've saved is contributing to that work. You know, when I, if you ever look at an ant colony, there's no ants that are off. There's no ants that are excluded and say, hey, uh, I was born in the colony. Y'all make me a really nice bed and everything and uh, make it real nice. I'm not going to get any breadcrumbs from some picnic or anything like that. You just take good care of me. No, everyone is required. But there's joy in it. And that's what the Lord wants us to experience. Um, We've been prepared for these works, but we're not saved by these works in any way, shape, or form. Now, this is the proof of our life in Jesus, that we now work for the Lord, that we serve the Lord, that we labor uh, for the Lord. Uh, we, we labor in a lot of ways. We, it, it's not, it actually takes some effort to get up and pray. It does. No one will do it for you. I mean, people will be praying for you, but no one can have your prayer life for you. No one can have your devotional life for you. You have to labor a little bit in the Word. You have to labor a little bit in prayer. And then that carries out to laboring for those things which the Lord would have us to serve in. Uh, yet we're, we're, we're more blessed, even though we, we don't earn these things, uh, we don't earn any kind of grace because of our works, we're blessed both now and for eternity as we work for the Lord and as we work and serve those uh, that Christ puts us in the path of, puts us in their life. He's put you in other people's life for a reason. He's put me in other people's life for a reason. But we're there as Jesus, he came to serve. What was he doing in the disciples' feet? He was washing their feet. He labored, he labored up and down the hills of Judea all the way up to Galilee when he was dog-tired. Why? That people would be touched that lives would be transformed. And that's what he labored for. And that's what he taught the disciples. He said in John 6, 27, he said, Do not labor for food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him, and the him is Christ there. So Jesus said, don't labor for food that perishes. And it, it, we all have to work for a living. That's not what, God is, that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, don't make those things your first priority. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all the other things will be added. Of course we have to work. 
But he says, and the heart, where your heart is labor for the things that are spiritual in nature. That that's your end goal. That, that the reason why you work hard at work is you say, God, I want to do my best here. That I have a wider influence. That actually, that, that people that respect what I'm doing, I could have, you know, speak into their life. That as you bless me here, I'll be able to bless the work of the Lord locally in the local church and around the world. All of these things are spiritually minded. Now, on the other hand, working for our own will and our own desires, the Bible calls that idolatry, right? Working for our own will, right? Doing what we think, God, I set the agenda in my life. I decide what I'm going to work on. That's idolatry. And what happens with idolatry? Well, idolatry, we see it in the children of Israel in the Old Testament. Every time there was idolatry, it just led to more sin. A little bit of idolatry leads to more idolatry, which leads to more idolatry, which leads to immorality and, and everything else. And so by the time Israel was done, the little bit of idolatry they started out with uh, resulted in things like infanticide, sexual immorality, you name it. And they had then created uh, new uh, belief systems or adopted them from other, other countries, and, and, it, and they became even more idolatrous. Just a little bit of a crack leads to more sin. We know the scriptures say uh, the wage of sin is death. Here in verse 16 says the wage of the wicked to sin. There are wages to what we invest our time and our energy in. Everything we invest our time and energy has wages. The scriptures are clear. In Proverbs 22 verse 8 says, He who sows iniquity will reap sorrow. It'll never, if we choose, to choose our own will, and a lot of times Christians would say, well, I'm not choosing a life of sin. But remember, we talked about this uh, last week as well. It, the Christian life is not just about the don'ts, do not commit adultery. The Christian life under Jesus Christ is about the do's, go into all the world. My house should be a house of prayer, right? Love one another, gather and serve, all of these things. It's the do's that he's called us to do. Uh, Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If we sow our own will, we reap the results of our own will. If we sow uh, the big sins, we reap the results of that. But in any case, our own will is always going to be leading to destruction. Let's look at verse 17. He who keeps instruction is in the way of life, but he who refuses correction goes astray. How do we stay in the life and the light that we were saved by and called to. How do we stay in that life? Stay in that light. Well, part of it, you're doing it tonight. You could be somewhere else tonight. You'd be a lot of places tonight. I've said many times, but before I got saved, especially in summer months when it's really nice out, the last place I could imagine myself on a nice Wednesday night was at a church before I came to Christ. I could not see wasting a perfectly gorgeous Wednesday night, because we were living in South Florida, there's a lot of, lot of nice nights, you know, where we could be doing something else, sitting out someplace at happy hour under an umbrella table with a breeze coming off the ocean was my better plan. And then when I got saved, I lost the taste for that, and I knew that that wasn't actually life-giving. 
It's a bit of a mirage, right? It looks like something, but it's really nothing. The second a person dies, they can't hold on to that at all. And then I would, we'd find ourselves, when, I, when we first got saved, we couldn't really make it to too many Wednesday services because we were still in college. I had Wednesday night classes. But when we could, you couldn't keep us from getting there. When we were able to go, it was a 45-minute drive, and we were college students. It was 40 to 45 minutes, right? And we would crave it to get there. If we could get there, we would want to get there because we, we wanted to hear the Word of God. That's only the Holy Spirit, because how do you not care about... I mean, how is it that the, the last thing you'd want to do becomes the first thing you want to do, and no one, made, no one could have made that change? I couldn't even make the change myself. You can't make yourself love Christ. You have to first repent and come to Christ. But then afterwards, the Holy Spirit will give you a ter- thirst for it. But you have to obey that thirst. I think that's a commercial too, right? <laughs> Sprite was on to something, right? You'd obey the thirst of the Lord, though. Well, how do we stay in this light, in this life that we've been called to? By obeying and abiding in Christ. It really is that simple. By staying and abiding in Christ. Uh, Jesus said he is the way, right? He said, I am the way. The early church was called, they were called the people of the way. They were called that. That, uh, that. People understood that when they referred to the way, they were speaking of Christ. And he who keeps instruction is in the way of life. Turn with me again to John 15. We turn there um, Sunday, but let's turn back there. Different passage in John 15. You could, you could stay in John 15 and meditate on it for years. And the Holy Spirit will still speak, speak to you through it. John 15, this time we'll look, uh, we looked on Sunday, uh, the fact that Jesus, remember on, uh, in, in, on Sunday in verse 2, that everyone who bears fruit, Jesus prunes. That we're, he, he, he will continue to prune us that we bear more fruit. But let's look at verses 10 and 11. And this is this uh, abiding in the way that we're speaking of in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, now Proverbs says, he who keeps instruction, same thing. Jesus is, by the way, the author of Proverbs as well. Even though Solomon writes that portion, Jesus is the author and finisher of Proverbs as well. So the instruction holds true here as well. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, you're going to abide in my love. You're not going to leave my love. And by the way, keeping his commandments is how we abide. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So Jesus said, you're following my example. Jesus abided in the commandments of the Father. Jesus never did anything in his earthly ministry that the Father didn't tell him to do. The Father would say, do this. Jesus would say, yes, I will. He wants us to obey his commands, and that's how we abide in him, that's how we abide in the way, and that's how we abide in his love. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you, that you would be miserable. Is that what it says? I'm not writing new scripture. I was just seeing if you were paying attention. 
apparently you were, because some of you laugh, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. A lot of Christians do not believe this passage at all. They can read it. They can quote it. They've heard it. They do not believe it. You know how you start believing it? Just say, Lord, I believe this. I don't. You say, well, I've never experienced this. Every time I've really served, bad things happen to me. Fiery darts come. You're going to have to fight through those. Satan's always going to try and convince you that God is not telling you the truth. You have to fight through those things and say, um, we don't look at the things which are seen, which things are unseen. If Jesus says this is the only way to experience joy, we have to say, Lord, I believe that. But I, the next day, I, I got four flat tires, right? So it must not really work. Talk to saints that have gone before you. Say, so you haven't gotten to the other chapters yet of your life. I'm not talking about the Bible. Of your life and my life, that you have to... Walk through those things. There's a little bit of, you know, if you were to talk to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they would tell you before the fire, in the fire, but they would also tell you after the fire. They would have experienced a joy unspeakable to be hanging in a fire like no one's ever done that I've ever heard of in, in, in the history of the world, walking around and strolling, whistling with Jesus, and then come out and not even smell like smoke. Because they believed in spite of, Satan says, this ain't going to work for y'all. You thought you were going to be all joyful in worship? Not going to work. But it does. Jesus said, these things that your joy, he said, my joy would be in you and your joy uh, would be full. We have um, here at the church, and you'll hear more about this Sunday with Ministry Sundays. I, please be here. I hope you're, you're here. Uh, we have a primary focus of four things this year that the Lord's reminded me of for 2017, and frankly, forevermore. They're not, it's not just 2017. It's just God has really laid on my heart since about November to go back to the essentials, back to the basics. And these are the four things for us. We'll talk about them a little bit more on Sunday. Number one, we've been talking about it lately, a surrendered life. We have to be surrendered. We have to be surrendered to the Lord. Number two, we have to be committed to prayer in our life. Not one minute in between radio dials. Not only a minute before you eat cereal, and that's your prayer. If that's your prayer life, you'll never experience the joy of the Lord. And you'll never experience the next piece, which is essential, because you have to have surrender and you have to prayer, and that is the fresh work of the Holy Spirit. There is no fresh work of the Holy Spirit outside of surrender and outside of prayer. That'd be like saying, uh, how can I, I'd like to drive my car around town with no tires. It's impossible. They are, they are required to get anywhere, and surrender and prayer is required for the fresh work of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, we need a constant fresh work of the Holy Spirit, don't we? You can't live off last week's steak dinner any more than you can live off of yesterday's high mountaintop. We need a fresh work of the Holy Spirit. And then the fourth one is something we'll continue to emphasize, and it's part of this walking in the way, is discipleship. A term that's not as used today in the church as it has been in church history, 
but we're going to use it a lot because the Lord's not called us to be just Christians. Jesus said to go into all the world and make what? Disciples. He did not say go into all the world and make Christians. He was specific. Unlike us, every word he says is measured. Make disciples. That's what he said. Go into all the world and make disciples. And the discipleship part, well, we know we're doing part of that here tonight. The Word of God plays a central role in that. Worship plays a role in that. All forms of worship, but music worship, learning to uh, praise the Lord in song is a key element of worship. It's not the only function of uh, our, our uh, way we worship. Fellowship and relationships. You know, One of the things that me and my wife are doing is we are planning more and more throughout the year that we get contact with as many people in the fellowship as we can. Fellowship and relationships, investing in that. Jesus invested a lot of his time in relationships. He was a people person. He was always investing in relationship. He was fellowshipping with people even though he didn't actually need fellowship. You realize that, right? Jesus is the only one that didn't need fellowship, but he constantly was in it. And then everyone else actually needs it and avoids it. Jesus didn't need it, but he ran to it, and he taught the disciples that. That's why he told, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. So he told Peter after, you got to feed sheep, you got to get close to them. Relationships. And then lastly, serving, because you know, we're called to labor. We're called to, you know, God gives you times of rest. One, you know, uh, it was Spurgeon, I believe, that said that, um, you know, sometimes when we rest, we get more than when we're doing, get more done, because actually the rest period actually re recharges, but serving is that last piece. But again, unless there's the other pieces, the surrender, the prayer, the fellowship, and the discipleship, unless those things are happening, then the serving won't really have, it won't have the power, it won't have the peace, it won't have the joy that God desires that we'd experience. Now, those who refuse to obey, they won't surrender. That's axiomatic. If someone won't obey, then they're not going to surrender. They're not going to obey God. They're not going to surrender to the will of God. There'll be no real prayer life if we don't surrender. Hence, there'll be no work of the Spirit, and there'll be no appetite for discipleship. The result? Well, the verse tells us here in 17, but he who refuses correction goes astray. Jesus talked about it this way. He said he was the good shepherd. He said some sheep wander off. They won't listen. They won't yield to the master. So if they're caught by a wolf and the shepherd didn't get there in time, they pay with their life. Or they could get torn up pretty good. I think a lot of Christians, God will sometimes let them get torn up by some thorns and some thistles or, or actually kind of uh, almost fall off the ledge. And then the shepherd comes and grabs, because he will go find his sheep. He'll even leave the 99 to go find one. But he who refuses correction goes astray. God does not want any of us going astray. And the first place we go astray is where? Here. This is the first place we go astray. Before our feet go anywhere, our mind goes astray. That's why Romans says to renew our minds daily. 
goes back to why we're going to keep emphasizing surrender, prayer, and the work of the Spirit. So we, we don't go astray in the mind. If we don't go astray in the mind, we won't go astray in all the other places. It all starts here. The good starts in the heart, but also the going astray starts in the heart. Depends on who's in control of the heart, doesn't it? If the Holy Spirit's in control of the heart, a lot of good will come. This keeping oneself in the way of Christ in life, his blessing and the growth he promises, it's not just an individual thing. It's not just an individual thing. Understand this, because we're a family. We're a church family. Jesus said we're, we're bought and we're brought into the family of God. So it's not just an individual thing. It's why we're a family. Jesus trained 12 men together of various backgrounds. They were very different. I wish I had time to go into all the differences of these 12 men. They all brought different things, personality to the table, different backgrounds, different socioeconomic background. He brings all that together, but they were in it together. We constantly see disciples with disciples, Mary with Martha, the women at the tomb. Even in the book of Acts, we see it again and again. The disciples are together because they were having to be in the way, not just by themselves, but the strength of iron sharpening iron, counseling one another, encouraging one another, building each other up. We need one another to grow. We need one another to grow. We need one another to stay in the way of truth. I'm thankful I'm married. I could survive alone because God is big enough for those of you that are single. God will be your helpmate. But the Bible also says, he who finds a spouse finds a good thing. So there is a two are strong, but a three-cold cord is even harder to break. And that's what God wants to do with the body of Christ. Even the single people in our midst are supposed to be woven into the body. They're not supposed to be just hung out. Hey, you do, good luck out there. Right? No, we're supposed to bring them. They should find sisters and brothers in the body of Christ. Even if they're single, they shouldn't feel single in the body of Christ. They should feel like, hey, I have a family now. They should feel that way. We should, uh, we should come as much as we can to help them feel the kind of love that someone would feel in a family. We're called to gather together. The scriptures say even more as Jesus is approaching. This is the opposite of what's happening in the American church. People are actually gathering less. They don't have time for God. God, have you seen my Little League schedule? Have you seen my work schedule? Have you seen this? Have you seen that? Have you seen? We got big plans for this year. We'll fit you in the X amount of Sundays and X amount of Wednesdays. Most people are not even Wednesdays anymore in America. Many churches are actually giving up Wednesday night services. They just can't get people to come. We're not going to give them up. I believe God's going to fill our Wednesday nights more in the future simply because I believe people will be thirsty for the real thing over time. But the, but the fact of the matter is, God wants us to gather more as we see the day approaching. Why? To encourage one another, to spur one another on to good works. It's why we emphasize being in fellowship, women with women, men with men. I, love, I came up here last night, the parking lot was packed with ladies' cars. It was, it was a beautiful sight to behold. I thought, they have a church up in there? I mean... There was a, uh, just, I come in and I, at the end there, little prayer groups praying together. Because you can't get that 
in any other setting. You have to have these different ways to be encouraged and strengthened, discipled. Congregational, as we talked about last week, is foundational. But discipleship is often relational. Abide in Jesus. Here's, here's something we can do. Abide in Jesus and get really close with his kids. Who are his kids? Right here. Abide with Jesus and get really close to his kids. In Proverbs 18.1, uh, we're going to get to the 18th chapter, who knows when, but we'll get there eventually. 18.1, it says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. Did you hear that? A man who isolates himself. Brother and sister, don't isolate yourself. Get in connection and contact with others. You are not meant to walk in the way by ourselves. We're meant to do it together. Verse 18, whoever hides hatred has lying lips. Whoever spreads slander is a fool. You ever watch the news? And you're saying to yourself as you're watching the news, you know they're lying. So you're watching the They're not always lying on the news, just so you know. But uh, fake news is a big topic these days, right? Fake news has been around a long time. It's worse than ever. I get that. Uh, but you ever watch the news and you're saying, how in the world can someone so well-spoken, so put together, lie so much and act like they believe every word of it? Because here's the reason. They hide hatred in their heart, according to Proverbs. They, what they really hate is truth from God. That's what it comes down to. Satan was a liar, is a liar, but they hide their hatred for truth. And if your heart is full of hatred and bitterness, then lying is no problem at all, right? What's a lie if you already harbor hatred, you harbor your own ways, you have a disdain for truth, you have a disdain for God, and maybe a disdain for a group of people. So you'll say whatever you have to say and have no issue with it at all. Now, we might expect the world to spread slander, but believers, we have to reject carving people up with our tongue. Amen? You can expect the world to gossip about other coworkers. You can expect the world to take a little inference and slander somebody. We can make, this is something we all have to be careful with, all of us have to be really careful of this because we're all human beings. We can make really quick assessments and be dead wrong of people. You know that? We can make quick assessments. Well, I'm really, I've I got an expert judge. I, I'm really good at judging people. I have, I have this thing. I, I, really, I can tell right out of the gate. Well, be careful with that. You can get fired one day thinking you're really good at assessing people, right? You know, overstep our bounds. But we can make these quick assessments without having all the facts. It's good to kind of know. You, know, you ever had a person you thought was a certain way and then you got to know them, you're like, they're really not how I thought they were. Well, it wasn't their issue. It was the gigantic plank in our eye, right? You know, we can see that little speck in their, you know, that they're not near as organized as I am. How do you know? Maybe they just had a bad day. Maybe they are. Maybe they're more organized. And you just caught them on one wrong moment, right? So we have to be very careful. And we don't have all the facts. And then in the church, people like to slander the name of caring. 
I'd like you to pray with me for so-and-so. Gently send them on their way, right? You know? It's very foolish. We saw back in verse 12. Look up at verse 12 for just a second. Again, I'm making sure we don't forget what we learned last week. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. Love attempts to cover sins, not magnify them. Slanders like to magnify. Because when you can magnify everybody else's flaws, you feel better about yourself. That's human nature for all of us, but we have to reject human nature and instead take on our Christ-like nature. Our Christ-like nature says, I know that makes me feel good. But by the way, it's only a temporary feel-good to put others down to make ourselves feel better. You will find way more peace and fulfillment by putting arms around people than actually stiff-arming people. Verse 19. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking, but he who restrains his lips is wise. Well, there's a lot here, isn't there? When we come into contact with people, this takes intentionality. I, you know, the longer I've been saved, I used to just run over people with my mouth. Uh, but the longer I've been saved, the longer we are saved, we need to be intentional about letting people speak. Intentional. Go into the setting saying, I want to be able to hear what they're saying. Even if they are someone you think you're going to really disagree with, that does, that's not the point. You still have to be able to hear people, to be intentional, to listen. Letting, um, we need to be using the two ears we've been given and use the mouth as needed, and better yet, as directed by the Spirit. Looking to use our words to build up and strengthen others, not, which is, there's a lot of people enter conversations, not to build up and strengthen, they enter a conversation to build themselves up. That's the only, the only reason they have conversations is to constantly build themselves up. Be a person that says, I enter a room or a conversation to build other people up. And the longer we drone on about something, the more likely we are to say something unnecessary. I've even done this from the pulpit. Not crazy, but unnecessary. So it can happen. It can happen in your life. It can happen in my life. James said in James 1.19, So then, my beloved brethren, we talked about this at the bottom rowers last week, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak. Swift to hear. The voice we mostly should be listening to all the time is the voice of Jesus. Because if we're hearing his, he'll actually guide us, say, many times. I've, I'm going to send an email. He says, no, don't send that. Because you can use your mouth and fingers too. Facebook, email, text. Start talking to God before you send certain communication. He'll talk back. You'll get this unsettled feeling that I should just hold this for a little while. You know what you'll end up doing? Deleting most of them. And I'm not even I'm not talking about um, you know correction or abuse. Sometimes it's just you don't need to say anything for any for any reason. And other times, God will impress upon you. Hey, say something. They need to, they need to be encouraged. That's a different story. They need to be strengthened. You, they need to hear that somebody loves them. Those are different different uses of our mouth or, or uh, what the Lord would have us to say. Um, we're to build people up. 
They were to build relationships. We, got, we do have to use our voice, by the way. It, it does not, it, it's not saying not to speak. It says in the multitude of words. And it says he who restrains his tongue doesn't mean doesn't use the tongue. It says the tongue is under restraint. Now, James talks a lot about the tongue being just an unruly evil. But the tongue, under the control of the Holy Spirit, is actually useful to God because we would speak for him into other people's lives. The Bible has plenty, about, the Bible has plenty to say about not remaining silent at times. You know there's a time to speak, and many people still won't. God might be telling you, hey, say something. Tell that person you'll pray for them. I don't know. I don't know what they're going to think about me. You might be the person who opens a bridge for them to come to Christ. So there is a time to speak. If there's no wisdom or encouragement or bridge building coming out, it will likely be worthless of what's come out of our mouth. It was Abraham Lincoln who said, better to remain silent than be thought a fool and speak and remove all doubt, Right? He said that. Better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. And a lot of times, people do that. I haven't heard from so-and-so. Oh, no. Under restraint. Verse 20. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. We're to make our words count. You know, every silver coin has real worth. If it's a real silver coin, if you buy like one from the U.S. Mint that's 99.99% silver, every one of them, if you had a stack of 20, they sell them in rolls of 20 uh, in the U.S. for the U.S. Mint, uh, every one of them has value. Uh, the 20th wasn't. No, every silver coin has value. And every word, what God is saying is every word God wants all of our words to have value. Now, the reality is all of our words won't have value because we're still sinners. And we're still going to have days where we said something we shouldn't have said. But Jesus, the more we're under the control of the Spirit, the more times we're actually giving out silver coins instead of wood chips. Right? That God would have us giving out things of value. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. You ever listen to a politician or a Hollywood star accepting an award? I don't watch any of the award shows anymore. I can't handle them. I don't care if it's the ESPYs. I don't care if it's the Golden Globes or the Grammys. First of all, much of what they have is so vile now, you can't even watch the shows. But regardless of the award shows, you ever watch, you can remember back to a speech you've watched from some of the politicians, some of the athletes say, well, that was worthless. I'll never get that five minutes back, right? And I'm not speaking of recent news. This isn't a about Meryl Streep or anything like that. You know, I'm not speaking of recent news. or I'm speaking of all down through the last 15, 20, 30, 40 years. And it doesn't matter if it's politics or if it's the sports world, that people that are in love with themselves have nothing to say but just fluff, worthless things. I almost could re just hit play and I could actually, this speech would cover 80% of what, but you're about what you're about to hear. Not, not related to that. It was funny. I watched it with my girls. Uh, every time sports uh, athletes are interviewed at the end of the game, I'm like, watch, you're going to get some deep insight. Watch this, watch this. 
Well, we just knew we had to give our best. Wow, that was something else. Uh, well, we just knew we had to dig in real deep. We just, uh, we knew we had to dig in deep. And, um, well, we just, we just, we had to execute coach's plan. And it, it's lots of that kind of stuff. I'm not picking on athletes because I, I, at least that stuff, there's nothing wrong with it. They're, they're trying to give an honest answer, and it really is the honest answer. But the, the point is that God gives us depth that really help people. You know, um, I'm not to preach and just get up here and speak. I had someone not uh, back in late 2016, that was a nice speech you gave. They told me that after the service. They were a visitor. I thanked them. I didn't correct them and say, it's not a speech. You know, I just said, thank, I appreciate that. But it was still funny to me because they said that was a nice speech. I'll be running for office soon, don't you know. But if I don't preach out of the power of the Holy Spirit, and I don't use the words of God, then whatever I'm going to tell you is just worthless. It has to be anointed, and it has to be the words of the Lord. It can't be mine. The heart that's opposed to God, it may produce something of temporal value, but nothing of eternal value. Uh, you can build an iconic company and employ a whole lot of people, and, and many men have done it, many women as well. And you can employ a lot of people, but you can't save any of their lives. You don't save any of their lives. That's why Pastor Chuck, um, years ago, I mean, he, Chuck was brilliant. People don't realize. Uh, one of the things about Pastor Chuck, he had, a, he had a doctorate. No one, he never asked anyone to call him Dr. Chuck. He had a doctorate. He had a doctorate in theology, just like all the other pastors that are called Dr. This, Dr. That. But Chuck said, no, no, just call me Pastor. Do not, he, he didn't hang his hat on his, on his education. He was brilliant. Pastor Chuck had a, like a photographic memory. Super intelligent knew way more of the Bible than you would think he knew because a lot of times he actually would just, how, to, how he could relate to people. Because he could talk over them if he wanted to, but he didn't. He would come down and talk at their level. But he was convinced, you know, because he was smart enough, he wanted to go into med school and you know, uh, be a doctor, but then he realized that God says, no, I'd rather you use your lips for me than use your hands for yourself. Even though he'd be helping lives, you're going to help. You actually will help more people in this world speaking the words of Jesus than if you cured some disease. Because Jesus would say that their greatest need is at the heart level, not at the disease or the physical level. But God wants all of us to use our lips, not just guys like Pastor Chuck, who's going to be home with the Lord, not just you know Pastor so and so, Dr. Charles Stanley. It's not just them that he wants to use their lips. He wants you to use your lips in your home, wherever you go. Verse 21, we're almost done here. Verse 21, still speaking about... Uh, it, you see how important that, that is to the Holy Spirit that our mouths and our hearts are connected to God. He goes on, verse 21, the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of wisdom. If our lips are led by the Spirit of God, we'll say things that will truly meet needs. Now, it wasn't, won't always be accepted, right? Sometimes people reject wisdom, but again, that is the greatest need. But we'll say things that will really meet needs. Peter said in 1 Peter 4.11, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. That God wants us to get to the place when we speak 
we, we, literally the heart of God is coming out in our speech. He, you know, Jesus said, if you love one another, this is how people will know that you're really my disciple, because love will kind of, uh, it'll be a fragrance coming from your life, but it'll also be coming from your lips. I love this quote. It says, encouragement costs you nothing to give, but it is priceless to receive. Encouragement costs you nothing to give, but it is priceless to receive. You know, the person that needs encouragement, when you give it, you just like poured fresh cold water in them. And they might have been waiting for weeks for somebody to encourage them. But if you're led by the Spirit, you'll be ready for those opportunities. Notice the wider impact of our lips. It says, the lips of the righteous feed many, many. So many Christians are going to stand before the Lord one day and God had given them an opportunity to have a massive influence in this world and their influence was a little bigger than a postage stamp. Had they been yielded and surrendered, been in prayer, used by the Holy Spirit, their lips could have fed many. Twelve men rocked the entire world, right? Because their lips fed many. They went from town to town to town, you know. They ended up in a, one of the apostles died in Iraq. One of them died in India. One of them died in Rome. I mean, they ended up all over the place touching many, and it's unbelievable with no Facebook and no social media and no TV and none of that stuff, but their lips were led by the Holy Spirit. They fed many. The wider impact. Are we feeding people with our lips? Are we just passing time with our lips? Which are we doing? I don't mean that every single word out of our mouth has to be spiritual. One of the ways that you actually get to have spiritual discussions is to first connect with people. You'll not really get many spiritual discussions if you haven't been friendly and connect. You know, we had... uh, a couple of uh, Monday nights ago, we had a text thread for the national championship game. It was me and some of the guys in this room. It was awesome. There was nothing spiritual about it. But in my mind, I was like, we're building relationships. We're building relationships. Because if we're building relationships, then when one of these guys has a real crisis, there's relationships where they can actually say, hey, can you pray with me? And we went from football discussion to something deep because you can use the... Paul said he used the things of this world that was not misusing them. You can really use a a like for antiquing with somebody. You'll never do it with me, but you can do it with somebody. (laughs) That kind of stuff. And that's how we build those relationships, but then our words. We have to build friendships, relationships, and then we're ready to be used. And that's mostly the case in the body of Christ, but even your neighbors and your co-workers. People, it goes on to say here, uh, but fools die for lack of wisdom. People are dying for wisdom and truth, and we have it. And we need to humbly speak it. Amen? Last verse, 22. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. This ties back to verse 16, and we'll close with this. You look back to verse 16, the labor of the righteous leads to life. And the blessing of the Lord makes one rich. And he adds no sorrow with it. Do we believe what Jesus said in John? Do we believe what Jesus said in John 15? 
that he's come that our joy may be full? Do we believe that working and listening to him and saying, Lord, it, it's going to take a little effort to develop a prayer life. It's going to take a little effort to stay in the Word. It's going to take a little effort to, to gather other Christians. I want my me time. God says, no, no. I want you to give them time. It's going to take a little effort. But if you do those things, God says, there'll be no sorrow with it. And it actually will make you rich in things like peace and love and joy. We took a look at this this Sunday. The fruit of the Spirit. The things that you can't buy with money. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we ask that uh, you would help us to stay in this way of life. Lord, that our lips and our labor and our life would be abiding in you. And Lord, then when we use our labor, when we use our lips, when we live our life, it will represent the life of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Lord, we pray that uh, we would grow in those that use our lips to be encouraging, that we would know that your word is true, to labor for you and to serve you is really joy. And Lord, even when the uh, enemy puts roadblocks or things that would, would say otherwise, we'll reject the deception of our own feelings and stand on the truth of the word of God. It's in your name we pray, amen.